Welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, the podcast of the Austin Forum on technology and society. Every episode, we upload for you the expertise, insights, and opinions of thought leaders, innovators, and creators on topics at the intersection of technology and society. We'll cover pervasive and emerging technologies that are influencing and impacting our business, education, governments, research, and culture. I'm Jay. I'm Jessica. And I'm John. And we're the co-producers of the Austin Forum Upload. Hi, and welcome back to the Austin Forum Upload. I'm John Lockman, and today we've got another episode of AI Facts, Fiction, and Fun. I'm joined today with my co-host. I'm Luke. I'm Jay. And we are pleased to introduce our guest today, Jean Lee Jaroge of Dell Technologies. She's one of our co-workers. She's a data scientist there. And thanks for joining us on the show, Jean Lee. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, you know the drill, Gene Lee. On this podcast, we ask guests about their favorite AI fact, their favorite use of AI in fiction or to create fiction, and also their recent fun use of AI. I'm going to start. I want to know what your favorite recent fact about AI is. A very interesting fact uh, about AI is, you know, algorithms can be used to either reward you in what you want in decision making or to even uh, make you see what you already believe in, in social media. If you're on the fence, it can sway your decisions, right? Such as um, in politics. And it can do it in such a clever way that, you know, you are not able to even figure out whether it's a fact or um, the information you're getting is a fact or it's fake news. And one of the examples I have is probably remember the 2016 elections where um, Cambridge Analytica uh, used AI to mine social media data to somehow sway you know, political opinions for people who are on the fence. So if left in the wrong hands, then AI could be used uh, for destruction. So perhaps, you know, we should make our decisions on what we want very early. Yeah, that, I actually saw the Cambridge Analytica documentary at Sundance a few years ago, back when being able to leave the house and go to film festivals was a thing. And they had the filmmakers there. And I, I got a new appreciation for exactly how sinister in some ways it was, but incredibly clever. They would use interesting games on social media and combine those with your demographic facts that they could collect and create these psychographs and determine who was most likely to be on the fence and thus most likely swayed by peppering them with fake news that was slanted towards one party. And, you know, I I came out of the movie a little bit scared, but with a, in a weird way, a grudging respect for how they used AI. It was certainly very dangerous, but it was, it was political campaigning effectively. Yeah. Well, in one way, it was, you know, super dangerous, but on the other side, really intelligent in the way that they were able to gather data. It's always the problem when we build our AI algorithms and all of our new models is, do I have enough data to train something? That was pretty sneaky and pretty smart to pull out all of those, you know, online games of what, uh, you know, rainbow pony am I or uh, what, yeah. what, pl- <laughs> what planet do, are you really from? Um, all those, you know, seemingly un, you know, unsuspicious questions that, that these folks answered and how they were able to actually gather all that data. I mean, that's just pretty impressive. Yeah, all the unsuspicious games, right? That just pop up and you just want to play and 
you know, see what um, it tells you, just you're curious. So that curiosity, um, you know, they the invoke that curiosity of the human mind to extract, you know, data that they need. So very, very much clever, but also very much, you know. Yeah, I, I didn't see any of that fake news. So when I saw the Cambridge Analytica documentary, you know, I'd, I'd heard about what had happened. And then I saw the movie. And I wondered up to that point, I wondered why I never saw any of this. And then I realized it was probably one of two reasons. One is, I think my Facebook posts are probably so, um, this is not the Austin Forum view, we're a 501c3 nonpartisan group, but Jay personally leans pretty far to one side. And so I, I clearly wasn't going to be swayed by fake news from the position that I was pretty clear about in my own personal beliefs. But Gene Lee, I guess the others that I probably never played any of those stupid games. I mean, I know people have fun with those, but I never had any time to figure out if I was house Targaryen or house, uh, whatever the other houses were on Game of Thrones that I can't remember because it's been off the air for two years. Yeah, now. it just gets you <laughs> off guard because you see your friend has played a certain game and they posted it on their profile and you're like oh that's interesting you know let me see what I'll be doing next week on Tuesday based on this game you know so it was some fun stuff but also some maybe catchy stuff um, but also I know Cambridge Analytica uh, that strategy they used it in the Kenyan elections right um, that I think the following year uh, we usually have elections every other year after the U.S. And they used it heavily um, in the Kenyan elections as well, you know. So um, it was interesting uh, to look at the different parallels in, in both uh, using intelligence in the U.S. elections and also in, um, in Africa as well. I think it's interesting what it says about us that I think people are predictable enough in general that uh, they, can be, they can be mapped so easily. I mean... You know, go back to the, the Facebook and the Cambridge Analytica example. I mean, who would have thought that there was a strong correlation between what plants you planted in Farmville and what your political leanings were going to be? And it's probably just because of us. You know, I would assume that, that there's a self-selection mechanism that makes everyone want to behave the same way when they have a particular um, belief or leaning. Um, and it doesn't seem to uh, Gene Lee, just to your point on the Kenyan elections, it doesn't seem to be limited to a single culture. It just seems to be a universal human truth that we're more predictable than we wish. And, and that's because these algorithms, they don't think of it in terms of neuroscience or human beings or cultures or societal trends or whatnot. They just collect vast amounts of data. They find these patterns and correlations that we wouldn't even think exist, like whether you're house Targaryen and you plant turnips in Farmville, I'm assuming turnips are a thing you could plant in Farmville, I've never played, and other things like that. And they say, oh, well, it turns out people with these 17 characteristics tend to be on the um, in the middle and, and a little bit more malleable if we present the right kind of misleading or biased information to them in the form of ads or fake news or things. And that's a, it's a pretty scary thought, but if you really think about it computationally, kind of makes sense if you have enough data. You know, data and, and how we, we use that data can be used for good, much more good than anything else. Uh, but also, let's also pay attention that uh, data can also be good, uh, used for, for destruction or for not so good social status. Oh. Well, I mean, if you bring up a great point, right? 
AI is another tool. It's a powerful tool. It's programmed by people. The data is selected by people and how it's trained is set up by people. Yes. And while it can make decisions on its own, you kind of figure the use cases are going to kind of mirror those of people, right? And most people are good. Some are okay. A few are not good at all. And we're going to see some use cases in AI that are not good at all. I think one theme we always repeat is there's a dystopian future whenever we talk about artificial intelligence. And uh, it'd be nice to try to avoid some of those things as we think about them when we build these systems. That was a great- yeah, They make good movies, but I don't think we really want to repeat them. Yeah. You can go dystopian futures. Yeah. <laughs> great fact. Uh, let's move on to the next side of fiction. What have you brought for us today? Oh, from a fiction perspective, from the movie Black Panther, if you watched Black Panther, you remember, you know, most of the actors, T'Challa, uh, was wearing beads, and those beads are called Kimoyo beads. So those beads are given to the Wakanda people at birth. And it's like they're collecting information about you, um, information about, um, you know, the Wakanda country. And so you can tell your medical history from that um, you know, from those, uh, from those little beads. What I wondered is like, when you grow, do the beads grow or do you, do you change uh, the size of the beads? But I also think it's very, it was very interesting that you could look at um, the whole, you could understand uh, data from the whole like Wakanda nation just from the beads. It's like, imagine like having just a very small element that collects information information from all the internet users and then you can just uh, click a button and you can see everything you need to know from that data um, from that I just thought that was a cool thing like oh, to, to think about but also for me I think that the interesting part is just collecting that medical information about you because then you could predict um, you know or you could understand your genomics better you could understand your disease uh, patterns better you know, and you could probably make more me uh, drugs much better. So, you know, that's just um, looking at the fiction and trying to align it with what's happening today. Jean Lee, that's, I can't believe you just out-marveled me, but I'm a huge Marvel Comics Universe fan. And I, when I think of AI in it, of course, I always think of Jarvis and Ultron and some other examples of it throughout the 20 plus movies. But now you've inspired me. I have to go back and watch Black Panther and see how those things collected data and how that data was used to make smart decisions. Yes, yes. It's interesting. I think it had a lot of our technology use, uh, but I think to me that that fictional aspect of those bits, because it's a small little thing, but it has, it collects a whole bunch of information. And then just like we're trying to collect information to understand how to make better drugs or to understand uh, genomics and, and things like that. So imagine if you had data about you from birth, just right access to you, right? You have it with you everywhere you go. Um, <laughs> every, I mean, every time you sleep, you wake up. Uh, so, so I thought that was something, you know, imaginable, fictional um, and quite interesting. Yeah, but it goes back to that that data problem with all of our models today is, you know, people don't even have medical records for their modern few years, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and if you do, you're calling around to all the different medical facilities you've been to. I mean, if you could carry around a little device that was actually 
monitoring your your growth and your uh, your changes over time, and actually, you know, recorded every time you went to the doctor and uh, every you know every sort of uh, drugs you've had to take over your time, or uh, you know, injuries that you've had and how that affected you, like your your physiology. I mean, that would be amazing. And what an amount of data you could do with that if I you know. had access to you know a whole country's worth of that sort of data. You know, we're we're really not that far away from this. This concept, I mean, this is a radio podcast, uh, thankfully, you know, I have a face made for radio, but Jay and John and I are all wearing smartwatches and you know, we got an Apple watch, we have an Android watch and I'm wearing a Fitbit. And what are they doing other than collecting all sorts of different health and biometric data? So we're starting to see the beginning of this. In fact, um, I know the, the Fitbit CEO um, had announced uh, early on in the, the pandemic that they were using Fitbit data to try and predict whether or not people were infected um, with the virus using just the biometric data that's collected from the Fitbit uh, and that they could predict very easily whether or not you were becoming sick or not uh, before you started to feel symptoms. And, and so I think it as an edge collection device, obviously it's not as good as the beads because it has to be recharged. It doesn't kind of live with you from, <laughs> from birth and everything. And it's just not as cool looking. But, yeah. Um, I, th I think that future is going to be um, more fact than fiction bef before too long. Okay. I said, I can't wait for that future, you know, because I just thought that was such a futuristic, almost fictional. When you think about it, like you can't imagine that, but, you know, as Luke said, you can just, start thinking about, oh, you know, the Apple Watch and the parallels of the beads in some sort of some, you know, futuristic that you can reimagine. I think that uh, Luke hit the nail on the head there. I think the Apple Watch 12 and the Fitbit 15 and the Google Watch 11 or something like that We'll, we'll be tracking all of our data. I, I don't know that we'll be giving them to infants, but certainly they're tracking more and more data. Um, and I actually use my watch and my phone to track an awful lot of data. And so they know everywhere I go, they know a lot of uh, health data about me. And it's only 2021 and the watch has only been out for a few years, the phone since 2008. So imagine where in 2030 we'll be. Google and Apple were able to demonstrate that they could show how much people were moving when the pandemic hit, right? That wasn't hard for them to do. They already have all the, everybody has an accelerometer in their phone, like, you know, 15 plus different types of sensors. And they could just deduce from all of that information right away. Oh, these cities look like they've done really well in lockdown versus these cities where everybody's still moving around. Um, it's, it's not that far that we have even better collection. And then I think, like you said, able to do, uh, quite a bit more in understanding how people move and, and why, and, and how that relates back to our health. Well, Gene Lee, I'm going to, I'm going to counter your, uh, AI fiction one with another one, although yours is really good. And I, I'm, I'm going to go watch black Panther this weekend now, but I, um, I saw an article this weekend about AI, uh, being used to create art and how people are terrible at determining whether or not the AI was created by a human or an artist. And I thought that was really interesting that it, it was in, actually appears in daysdigital.com. Uh, and the article was just a few days ago. It cites some research that was published in Empirical Studies in the Arts by researcher Harsha Gangadharpatila 
And the study was inspired by the, a picture, an AI generated picture back in 2018 that sold for a very large dollar amount. And it was an AI generated picture, not a human artist generated picture. And so they decided to do this study and they did landscape pictures and they did abstract art pictures. And they found that people are really not very good at determining which ones were created by humans and which ones were created by AIs. And I found this in a way understandable. I mean, the AIs are really good at looking at patterns and then being able to create similarities and patterns if you train them on enough data. But it was a little depressing too, right? Because you want to think the soul of the artist came through and the work of art they created and that a human would recognize that, that essence and would not recognize it in the AI generated ones. But the AI ones were trained based on ones in which human artists had created them. So in a sense, they synthesized that kind of essence. So I found that fascinating that we're at the level now in music and pictures, at least, and paintings and pseudo paintings, that AIs can, can fool humans. Now, the real question is when you say humans, are these art critics, art experts, or are they just dude off the street? <laughs> these were people <laughs> off the street. That's a very good point. They weren't art experts. I mean, I've bought a lot of great street art in my lifetime, but most of the time that street art is not going to end up in, uh, you know, in a museum or for sale at Christie's. So, um, I, I, you know, I think that that maybe that's a good form of bias in the reporting of how they think about uh, what what is art versus what isn't art or what was human created versus what isn't. Like you said, these 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 models are great at imitation. And if they're already imitating some of the greatest stuff that we've created, it's not going to create something new out of that. Right. Well, it, it creates something new, but not new in a different way, something not it's new, but similar as opposed to new in an entirely different direction. It, it's not very good at extrapolating creativity. It's good at imitating creativity. Yeah. I think in art, uh, one of the things that, about art is you get as much, it's as much about what you bring to the piece as what the artist brings to the piece. So it's as much about the observer as it is the artist. And, and so you know, it, it's really more about the feelings that it invokes in the viewer. And that should be simple enough to synthesize uh, by AI because it's a reflection of the viewer, not a reflection of the artist. Good point. I like that. Jean Lee, what do you think yeah, about that? Such a, that's a good point. I, I mean, I think I agree with John um, in the context of, um, you know, AI can... Uh, and I'm of the opinion of AI can never replace like human creativity. You still need the human creative element of it. So, you know, because I think with newer generation or new people, perhaps we see new creativity of art, right? Different art that we've never imagined because they've been exposed to a whole lot of um, different aspects of things, right? But, but I think, um, you know, like right now, AI is just still learning um, the, the concept of creating art or creating music. And then so over time, maybe five years, we're going to perfect that, right? But then we'll need to see 
you know, because then you're going to produce things in, ma you know, probably AI mass production of art and then art will be available everywhere. But then we are going to also need new concepts of art that we haven't seen, right? And so that's where the human creativity comes in as opposed to just the machine uh, generated art. So, so it, I think it's interesting times and uh, good, good stuff. We're living in interesting times with this AI, um, AI world. I love the way you summarized that, that these AIs may be able to create great examples of art like we've seen from other humans so far, but it will take humans to create the next art that we haven't seen before. Yes. I do think it means that the man you know, the common man on the street can finally have a piece of art commissioned for them because it's going to be really cheap to generate new art. <laughs> That's true. Um, so, you know, you don't have to go spend $250,000 on a piece at, at Christie's or whatever in order to get something unique and, and different. Uh, and it can change on a, you know, every five minute basis. It can just be rolling around on your TV, you know, new, new pieces showing up. So Jean Lee, I wanted to ask you about our last topic, which is AI fun. What fun thing about AI have you brought to share with us today? Um, you know, an interesting fun, I thought it was a fun thing. Um, you know, the use of AI, um, specifically using like uh, deep learning to produce like human-like text. So AI used to produce mascots um, in Japan you know, which collect photos and show descriptions of, you know, many, many mascots or generate mascots. And then those mascots are used to promote anything from companies to towns to public services and a, a whole lot of very inventive stuff, right? For example, there's one they call, there's a mascot they call like Namisuke. And this is like a puppy-sized dinosaur, right? With a fairy forest on his back you know, to represent like the Tokyo uh, Suginami ward, you know? So <laughs> um, I thought that was such a fun stuff or they have one called Yakazu. It's an elephant with a watering can head and it represents this um, a city chamber of Comas, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so using that like um, deep learning uh, approach um, G called GPT, to develop, to produce those human-like text and generate those mascots and then give those mascots some names and some character and then have those characters re represent like. So, you know, I would probably create one and uh, present maybe some sort of uh, person I don't like. Or <laughs> <laughs> Jean Lee, this reminds uh, us of a few weeks ago when we did a, this podcast um, before we started bringing in guests, we brought up the example of Dolly, which uses GPT-3 and an image generation program. And so you can give it uh, verbal or text strings of words. And you've probably seen the avocado chair that Dolly produced or the, yeah. the multiple avocado chairs that it produced. This sort of reminds me of that and, and a really fun use of AI. I said, I thought it was really fun. Like, I was like, oh, wow. So I want to play along with it a little bit and see how, what I can generate. So it's something I could delve into a little later. I think it's official. This podcast needs an AI generated mascot. We exactly. do. It doesn't matter what it is. Just the first thing that pops out, that's what's going up on the website. That's the new <laughs> logo. 
And so, uh, so we'll take all of the uh, the transcripts from the first couple of recordings and throw all that into the system and whatever mascot we get, we get. That's what we go with. <laughs> I'm scared, but, but interested. That sounds good. <laughs> I think that's a really cool use of GPT. And I think, you know, we, we've kind of said, oh, we talked about GPT in the last one. And no, oh, no, we talked about it again the next time. Well, and th- we're talking about it again, but this is, a, again, a, another and very different uh, implementation of using this concept of this very large trained model, but now, um, you know, how do we apply it differently? And I think that's kind of the, that's the human element that we keep seeing in the fun of AI is, hey, we made this thing that we, we think does this, and then you give it to the world and see what everybody else thinks it does. AI is gonna be used for so many fun things in the years ahead. And, and that's just representative of society, right? I mean. For whatever reason that you know none of us probably agree with, our teachers get paid fifty thousand dollars, and our baseball players who play a fun game for our entertainment get paid fifty million. But um, we we will pay for fun. The gaming industry is a hundred plus billion dollars a year. Humans like to have fun, and AI is going to be used for a lot of fun things in the decade ahead. And I, I think it's going to be used in gaming and film and to create. Well, it's not very good at poetry yet, as we talked about in a previous podcast, but it's, it's being used for art and, and lots of things. Well, you, you nailed it on film, Jay, just last week. There's a release of a model that is upscaling old video. And of course, they started with the classic Rick Ashley, never going to give you up. Yes. And took that good old classic VHS YouTube upload and upscaled it to 4K at 60 frames a second. It looks beautiful, uh, like you've never seen, uh, like you've never seen him dance on the big screen before. <laughs> it made me happy when I watched that. And as you know, I, I believe in Rick Rowling. I think Rick Rowling should make a comeback. But I watched that video and 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 thought, wow, I never saw it look that good on MTV or anything. Although I did notice there were times where his mouth did not seem exactly. Uh, what I would have expected for saying the words he was saying. Actually, if you do a few freeze frames, there's quite a few really weird face pieces because <laughs> there's AI generated or was that bad lip syncing or what was that? No, I mean, the, well, the, the face sequences are definitely that uh, filling the space into make up 60 frames out of what was 24. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's some uh, extrapolation of making the, the fluid motion look. And if you look at some of those freeze frames, there's some really creepy looking stuff in there. We need to post the link for that in the Austin Forum social media. I think everybody needs to hear this song again because it's a happy song and they need to see this use of AI. Jean Lee, have you seen this yet? The, the song or the- Have you seen the new AI generated 4K 60 frames per second upscaled video? No, I haven't. Uh, we'll send you the link. This one's really good. Yeah, I love to see that. Things that yeah. get me excited. Probably used a million dollar supercomputer to do this. Actually, probably not. They probably used, used a laptop. A, probably yeah. used, I would say a desktop with a high, maybe an NVIDIA 3060, 3070, something like that. The next um, step I, is to upgrade the audio. I mean, we need to hear, never going to give you up in Dolby Atmos with full surround. It needs to feel like quadraphonic. I want to feel like I'm listening to a Pink Floyd album. <laughs> it was sound just all around me. I agree with that. 
Yeah, I think we I, there's a lot of room that. for nostalgia upgrades. I mean, and then, you know, this is just us now getting 4K. I mean, ooh, 4K. What about my 8K uh, VR up, upscale? You know, that's where that's where we're really going. I, and, and then eventually, of course, the holographic version of Rick Astley in your living room singing this song. I need Ultimate that. Rick roll. Yeah, that's right. Well, Gene Lee, thank you very much for joining the show today. We really enjoyed your uh, your inputs, and we hope you'll come back and visit us again soon. Of course, we have a lot of Austin Forum events on AI coming up, and we hope you'll participate in those as well. And the podcast goes on, but we, we really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me, and um, I really had fun. I, this is my officially first podcast to be in, so... Oh, wow. Yeah, so thank you. I had fun and happy to come back if um, you ever need me. You know? Absolutely. It was great having you on. Yeah, thank you so much. And that wraps this episode of AI Facts, Fiction, and Fun. And we'll bring another episode in a couple of weeks. Stay tuned and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.